0: We're especially pleased to have Isaac with us because he spent his entire childhood among us. He grew up here, um, and he knows us. He attended Washington Christian Academy where, uh, in Silver Spring, where his mother, Jan, was a teacher and an administrator. Uh, Isaac then went and did his bachelor's degree in journalism and religious studies at the University of North Carolina in Chapel Hill and his master's degree from Southern Seminary. While he was here in the D.C. area, he served as part of the pastoral team at Capitol Hill Baptist Church. And then, a little over two years ago, Isaac moved to Birmingham, Alabama, where he's the lead pastor at the Iron City Church. Uh, He's married to Megan. They have four children, the youngest of which I think is just a few months old. And uh, he's written several books, including, of course, the one which is our focus today, talking about race, gospel hope for hard conversations. Now, I need to say just a little bit about Isaac's mother, Jan. Uh, We were, of course, all shocked when the Lord called Jan home to himself so unexpectedly just about two years ago. And of course, we deeply miss her. She would have been so thrilled and so proud that Isaac's here today for this event. Uh, Jan served as the chair of our most recent pastoral search committee that resulted in helping us to to call our senior pastor, Ryan Moore. And for the last decade or two, Jan taught a women's Sunday school class called King's Daughters. And this is important because this is where she first began to help us at Wallace begin to understand gospel implications about race in the church. About five years ago, Jan and a few other women from her class in their wise way made an appeal to the elders of our church for us to more directly face this issue of race in the church. And graciously the Lord had prepared our hearts and we took a series of steps to move the conversation forward in our congregation. On a Sunday morning just about four years ago, the session explained to our church that we'd become convinced that this was an important gospel issue and that we were forming a committee to help us. And that committee included Jan's small group of women, some elders, and others. And Jan co-chaired that committee. Uh, As we met and shared our experiences, our thoughts, and our feelings, it changed us. This was about the time that Isaac published his book talking about race and was preparing to move to Birmingham. But soon after, the Lord called Jan home. Our committee, like so many others, were reeling from the loss. But as we continue to ask ourselves about the path forward, the idea idea of today's event was conceived. And as we say, the rest is history. We've planned for and earnestly prayed to be here today And we're thrilled to have Isaac present with us. Last night, as some of us sat and visited with Isaac, I was deeply blessed by the wise words of this man who, more than anything, loves Jesus. Please join me in welcoming Isaac Adams.
1: Good morning. Man, this is special. This, I have never spoken at an event like this. This is just wonderful. So wonderful to be here. Wow. You know, God's people, Jesus's people, we are nothing if not stubborn sometimes. Uh, We're nothing if not determined. So Jesus says things very clearly In his word, you know, and sometimes we just don't believe him. Uh, You know, he says, turn left and we turn right. He says, turn right and we turn left. He says, the prophet has no honor in his hometown and I get on the first plane coming to Burmese, coming to D.C., you know. It's just, here I am and I just cannot believe it. And in all seriousness, I've only felt honored here. I've only felt welcomed. It is so Good to see you all. Thank you for having me. Thank you for raising me. Um, Marty spoke about this very clearly. Uh, today is actually the anniversary of the day uh, when I got that terrible phone call about my mom. So I was the first one in our family, just by happenstance, I was the first one in our family to be called. Um, sister from WCA called me. Hey, your mom has been in an accident, uh, and the events ensued. So that was February 24th, two years ago. A lot has happened in those two years, but I just, I counted it a privilege. We did not plan it uh, for, uh, for it to fall on this weekend, but here we are. Uh, so I just really want to bless the Lord for that. It is so good to be here with you and to see so many of you. I mean, this is just the Kenyans, the hemp hills. Hessler. I mean, it's just, I could go around and around. McGovern's, I mean, Frank, it's just, it's a blessing. It's a privilege. I don't take it lightly. Uh, and I, I simply feel the honor of standing in my mom's legacy and standing on her shoulders. Uh, and yeah, I can't fill her shoes, uh, but I'm thankful that she would share them with me. So let me pray for us, and let's hop in to our time in our first session here. Let's pray. Jesus, I offer you these couple fish and these few biscuits, and I ask you to multiply and to move in the power and demonstration of your spirit. For the sake of justice, for the unity of your people, for the glory of your name, we ask this in your name, Jesus confessing there is nothing on earth that we desire besides you. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Grace and peace, sisters and brothers. As I said, it is a joy to be here. I mean, in some sense, I was talking with Shirley last night. Uh, In some sense, this has felt like a wedding, like we've been planning it for a long time. Uh, And if this is a wedding weekend, last night was the rehearsal dinner. So we had dinner right here. With the elders and the committee, and it was a sweet time. Amazing food, uh, which is no surprise here at Wallace, uh, coming in Mabel's legacy. Amazing food, uh, amazing dessert. Charlie made this cake that was just of the heavens. So, uh, and we needed something sweet, in fact, needed some good desserts because we were going to be talking about something hard. Something hard. And that's where I just want to begin by asking the simple question, why is it so hard for Christians in America to talk about race? Have you ever asked a question like that? Why is there so much defensiveness and division, suspicion and strife on racial matters among those who claim to be united in Jesus? After all, aren't Christians supposed to be quick to listen Slow to speak, slow to anger, James 1. Aren't we to be truth and love speakers, Ephesians 4, and burden bearers, Galatians 6? Can't the gospel overcome any barrier, including ethnic divides, Ephesians 2? If so, if all that's true, why is it so hard for us to speak with grace and truth about issues of race? Friends, I ask this question because as recent years have shown us, talking about race is an obvious difficulty. Even as Austin and I were leaving where we're staying uh, on the TV, there was the news playing uh, and different uh, presidential candidates saying different things about race that were going to make people feel different ways, in difficult ways. Why is it so hard for us to speak with grace and truth about issues of race? Friends, I ask this because, yeah, just talking about this over the last few years, it's been an obvious difficulty. And the obvious things are often the most important things. And yet they are also the most easily assumed or glossed over things, right? And I think we often rather just speed past the difficulty, just get to solutions and see if we can fix it. But if we slow down and stare at the difficulty... Not only will we have a better idea of what to expect in these conversations, we'll have a better idea of how to love one another through them. Friends, if we appreciate the difficulty of this conversation, I think by God's grace, we'll better appreciate each other. That will be slower to anger, quicker to forgive, quicker to forbear with each other. So, if you're here you want to work for justice or unity in your church. I think you do well to think about this obvious question. Why is it so hard to speak about race? Sisters and brothers, let me speak plainly. I think this question is as important as it is ignored. After all, so many of us, we want to do big things when it comes to racial justice, but we can't even have a constructive conversation with that person. We dread seeing it at Thanksgiving much less on Sunday morning. And it's tempting to think, well, I'll just ignore them, I'll ignore those people. But the question we need to ask is, what if God wants us to love those people who disagree with us? What if those people are members of our church? Right? We don't want to go to a church where everyone looks like us, th- thinks like us, talks like us, votes like us, because if everyone were just like you at church, church might be easy, but it wouldn't be glorious. If everyone were just like you at church, church might be easy, but it wouldn't be glorious. And I had a friend, I said that once, I had a friend who honestly said, man, I'm not even sure church would be easy if everyone were just like me. I appreciated that honesty. Right, But no small part of what makes the gospel glorious is that it is about reconciliation, not alienation. And what shows the glorious reconciling reconciling power of the gospel is that God makes enemies family. Uh, Jesus said, by this the world will know you are my disciples. By the way you, former enemies, who I've now made family, by this the world will know you're my disciples. By the way you love one another. Speak to one another. Why is it so hard to talk about race? On one level, we could simply say sin. That's our foundational answer, and it's a wise one. Uh, This is James' answer in James 4.1. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? James essentially says you got beef. It's because you got sin. And even if it's not our sin, the curse of sin, the frustration of this fallen order that causes us to groan, as Romans 8 talks about, it troubles our conversations. So, sin is the reason it's so hard to talk about race. But that's an unsatisfying answer, isn't it? You likely already knew these conversations are hard because of sin. But even more than that, sin doesn't exactly answer our question about why Race, as opposed to other topics, is so hard for Christians to talk about. After all, Christians, we talk about lots of things in this fallen world with far less difficulty than we do race, work, sports, parenting. I'm not saying those conversations are always easy, but not many get, of them get us going quite like race. So what gives? What gives, beloved? James' epistle helps us here. Notice it doesn't stop at James 4.1. James went on to name specific sins, what they are, who generally commits them, alongside other pastoral concerns. So just for instance, in James 5, 1 to 4, James explicitly warned the rich of God's coming judgment for their sin of defrauding poor field workers. This passage sounds a lot like Proverbs 13:23: An unplowed field produces food for the poor, but injustice sweeps it away. So, Uh, We can see that while sin was James' answer to the question about why Christians are in conflict, it was not his only answer. He dove deeper. We're going to follow James' lead. Uh, We presented the simple answer, sin, and now we'll dive deeper into that answer, sin, and other issues so we can make progress. So in what follows, we're going to break out 11 specific reasons why talking about race is so hard. And here's how we'll do that. We're going to look at the bad fruit. That is the things we see evidently happening in our conversations. And then we're going to look at the root of that fruit. That is the reason is happening. The fruit is the what? The root is the why. And I'm going to try to spell out <clears throat> what we can do in light of these fruits and roots to have more helpful conversations. So, why is it so hard for Christians to talk about race. Fruit number one. <clears throat> we try to have every conversation in every conversation. Because root one, race and racism are broad topics. Why is it so hard to talk about race? It's so hard because fruit one, we try to have every conversation in every conversation, and we do that because root one, race and racism are Broad topics. I often call race the Velcro issue because so many aspects of life stick to it politics, housing, economics, education, and other aspects of life. You know, so I remember my mom, our beloved sister, my mom, sharing about the first time she had a chili dog with me. She told me this story. She was five years old. She was living in Fayetteville, North Carolina at the time. She ate at at a segregated lunch counter and was not allowed to use the restroom as a black girl. So what I want you to see in that just short example is that racism had reached the bathroom, the kitchen counter, a little girl's plate, and her memory too. And oftentimes our conversations about race are hard because we don't know where to begin, and we certainly don't have the competency to speak to every topic. So what can we do? What can we do? I want to actually provide solutions, steps forward. What can we do? Specify. Specify. We can try to locate our real disagreements. A pastor named Kevin DeYoung, he speaks to why doing so proves helpful. He writes, With racial matters, we are often guilty of making every conversation about everything else. So even though the disagreement started off by talking about colonial American history, we ended up arguing about Donald Trump, mass incarceration, and corporate repentance. To be sure, sometimes everything is connected to everything, but I still maintain that our conversations will produce more light than heat if we can focus in on one argument at a time. By more carefully isolating our real disagreements, we will be better equipped to talk responsibly, listen respectfully, find common ground, and move in the direction of possible solutions." End quote. Conversations about race are so hard because we try to have every conversation in every conversation. And we do that because race and racism are broad topics. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit two, fruit two. We don't always agree on what the injustice of racism is. Because, root two, race and racism are complex topics. So hard to talk about race because, fruit two, we don't always agree on what the injustice of racism is, and we don't agree on it because, root two, race and racism are complex topics. Consider the idea of race for a moment. When it comes to race, what exactly are we talking about? A reality. A fiction. A biological fiction, but a social fact. How many races are there? Has the answer changed over time and how? And what does Scripture say about these questions? Have Christians always shared an understanding of what it says? Now, consider racism. Christians agree that racism is sin. But... What that sin particularly is, how clearly it manifests, the extent to which it runs throughout society, and who perpetuates it, that's a different story, isn't it? You might have heard what I said earlier about the Velcro nature of racism and disagreed. What's more, when it comes to race and racism, we're not just dealing with sin. We're dealing with ideas and cultures that have molded and morphed over time. We're dealing with the implications of other convictions we hold, Right. So, for example, take the mission of the church. What we believe the church's mission to be will impact how we think the church should respond to racism. If you think the church's mission is just to preach, that will impact how you think we should respond. If you think the church's mission is to feed and clothe the hungry, that will impact how you think we should respond, and that's just one example. We could keep listing examples, but it's clear that often our conversations about race are hard because the topics are complicated. So, what can we do? What can we do? Study, study, we can study, we can read, we can learn. Enlisting listing all those questions about race and racism a moment ago, my goal wasn't to confuse you, but to show you the difficulty of the matters at hand. And yet, the, the abundance of questions or lack of agreement on the answers, that doesn't mean the disputes about race are unimportant or they don't have true answers that can be taught, learned, and clarified. It doesn't mean we should just agree to disagree on all these important discussions. Rather, the abundance of questions and rebuttals means the answers will take work. Bible open, like the Bereans in Acts 17.11, Scripture examining work. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? It's so hard because, fruit three, sometimes we speak harshly or overstatedly. Fruit three, sometimes we speak harshly or overstatedly. Because, root three, race and racism are painful topics. So hard to talk about this because, root 3 sometimes we speak harshly or overstatedly and we do that because root 3 race and racism are painful topics it is one thing for a subject to be complicated take the trinity for instance it's complex it's a mystery and though it's one that deeply more than anything bears upon our existence it is not an issue spoken about with half as much angst as race And that's because beliefs about the Trinity have not usually produced the pain that beliefs about race have caused. A no-people group has been enslaved because of their view of the Trinity. At least in the history of America, no civil wars have been incited over beliefs about the divine's triune nature. No one was redlined by the Federal Housing Administration for being a Unitarian. But when it comes to race, the case has been different. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters many people understand to touch upon the core of their identity. And so the matters are personal. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters people see in the faces of their children. And so the matters are cherished. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters many people understand to have financially picked their pockets. So the matters are costly. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters many Christians understand themselves to be suffering from today. And so the matters are relevant. When it comes to race, we're dealing with matters that stir up painful memories of rejection and indignity and violence. So the matters are tender. They're painful. Because racial issues are so painful, they make our conversations weighty. And hard. And sometimes those of us who are pained speak out of that pain. We lash out. We exaggerate. We're acerbic. Maybe it's because we feel we won't be heard otherwise. Maybe it's simply because hurt people tend to hurt people. So what can we do? What can we do? Remember and forgive. Remember and forgive. Remember that it's possible to be angry, but not sin, Psalm 4. In other words, sometimes it's okay to be angry. Sometimes it's right. Remember, however, that revenge belongs to God, Romans 12. And remember that he didn't take vengeance out on you when he would have been right to do so. Esau Macaulay shares a lesson all Christians can learn from Black Christians who are righteously angry over racism. He says the profound act of God's mercy gives us the theological resources to forgive. What do Black Christians do with the rage we rightly feel? We send it to the cross of Christ. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit four. Fruit four. Sometimes we don't give the conversation enough weight because, root 4. race and racism aren't painful topics for everyone. Root for, sometimes we don't give the conversation enough weight because, root for, race and racism aren't painful topics for everyone. One reason conversations about race are so hard is because we come to the table with vastly different experiences. So, someone may be talking about race, but in a detached manner. For this person, racism is engaged as an idea, not an experience. And what do we do with ideas? We evaluate them, we test them, we think about them in the abstract, poking and prodding them to evaluate the truthfulness of claims against what we previously understood to be true. And this may be fine in some sense, if the folks we're talking to likewise know racism as an idea rather than an experience. However, when speaking with someone who has been on the receiving end of racism, speaking in such a theoretical manner, it can be really unhelpful. It not only damages your listener, but it also frustrates the conversation. As we just considered, when many folks think of racism, they're not thinking in abstractions. They're thinking about things that have happened to them and those they love. For them, racism isn't a mental exercise or a matter of political talking points. It's an experience they didn't have the luxury of dodging. So, what can we do? What can we do? We can localize our experience. Localize our experience. So, frankly, the temptation to speak about race abstractly is a greater temptation, I think, for my white sisters and brothers. And one simple thing you can do is be aware of what we just described. Don't universalize your experience. I heard one pastor say it like this, your universe isn't universal. Your universe isn't universal. And so, beloved, we should recognize that someone else may have a very real and very different experience One that you should recognize as worthy of great value and potentially great sorrow. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit five, we disagree on how to apply the Bible to issues of race because root five, we read the Bible in different ways. So hard to talk about race because we disagree on how to apply the Bible to issues of race because, Route 5, we read the Bible in different ways. Quote, both read the same Bible and pray to the same God, and each invokes his aid against the other. Abraham Lincoln said that in his second inaugural address to a war-torn country. And it seems, while to a lesser degree, the same problem remains. Let me be clear, the problem isn't the Bible It's that we have different notions of how to apply the Bible. One friend of mine, he put it deftly. He said, One reason believers disagree on issues like systemic racism is that we have different intuitions about common grace insights. So some hold deep suspicion, whether consciously or not, about secular scholarship. Others are more open to it as an expression of common grace, so Christians who agree on paper about the sufficiency of Scripture still end up with different instincts about how to apply Scripture to the ethical challenges of our day. And what can we do about this, right? Some of us think, hey, you shouldn't be reading anything that's not the Bible on this issue. Others of us think, hey, that's God's common grace, we, we need help in this area. We can benefit from this, even if it's not a Christian resource. What can we do? We can name this difference. Just, name, just recognize this difference. Scripture is clear in its basic teaching about the gospel. Moreover, no one is allowed to read the Bible however they want. That said, simply recognizing that there can be legitimate differences, legitimate differences in how Christians saved by the same blood of Christ understand implications of scripture and we if we recognize that there can be legitimate differences in how Christians understand implications of scripture that can go a long way toward engendering charity in hard conversations next why is it so hard to talk about race fruit 6 fruit 6 we don't know how to talk to one another because root 6 our churches are largely racially segregated. Route 6, we don't know how to talk to one another because, root 6, our churches are largely racially segregated. Perhaps we could recognize the differences in how we approach Scripture if we knew one another. But many American neighborhoods are segregated, and so are their churches. You know, in time, it, it forbids us from discussing whether this segregation is de facto, de jure, or some mix of the two. You know, it's just how it happened, or it's what the laws made happen. But the point is, despite the rise in interracial evangelical churches, most are divided, and it can't be denied that this segregation is because of the church's racism in the past. As Jamar Jamar Tisby notes, there would be no black church without racism in the white church. One distressing effect of this segregation, is that it's hard to get to know one another. And so we may very well be ignorant of how members of another ethnicity operate or speak or what they've gone through. And often we fill the void of our knowledge with false assumptions or narratives that frustrate any potential conversations further still. So what can we do? What can we do? Build relationships with people not like us. Very simple. Build relationship. relationships with people not like us. The trend toward multi-ethnic evangelical churches, much like this one, is that minorities attend predominantly white churches, not vice versa. I think until we see the trend going in both directions, where whites will attend faithful gospel churches where they are not in the racial majority, conversations about race will continue to be difficult. I'm happy to talk about that one more in the Q&A. It always gets questions. No, I am not saying all of you need to leave this church and join another church, but we can talk about that one. Uh, So, Ryan, I'm not trying to kick everyone out, I promise. Uh, Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit seven. Fruit seven. We fight and quarrel on social media. And someone said amen. Fruit seven. We fight and quarrel on social media because... Route seven, we are having conversations in the wrong place. It's so hard to talk about race because root seven, we fight and quarrel on social media. And we do that because root seven, we're having conversations in the wrong place. While great good, great good can be accomplished through social media, social media by definition inhibits many aspects of conversation, tone, body language, It discourages other aspects of helpful conversation. Nuance. It rewards inattention. The faster you scroll, the more content you get, the more polemical you are, the more likes you get. And while these challenges may not be unique to online conversations about race as opposed to other topics, social media has contributed something unique to the racial discourse in America a horrifying genre of videos of black image bearers being killed. So think back to the last racial tragedy you witnessed. How'd you learn about it? Was it on social media? Uh, think Think back to the place you saw people squabbling about it. Was it on social media? Am I saying get off Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and the rest? No, but I am saying be careful with them. Be careful with them. After all, social media has a disinhibition effect where we are emboldened to say words online that we would never say in person. I think I'll talk about this later, but if I don't, this is what made COVID so difficult for churches. People you would gather around the Lord's table with and see regularly You stopped seeing them, at least in person, and you started talking to them in different ways. And here we are. So what can we do? Talk face to face. Face to face. Matthew 18.15 says that when we have a problem with someone, we should first go address it with them directly and privately. How much better would conversations about race be if we had them across our dinner tables rather than across the internet? Right, this point, connects to the last. If we're segregated, we can't talk face-to-face. And even if we have racially integrated networks and churches, are we taking advantage of them? You know, how many people in this church have never stepped foot, much less had a meal in the home of someone of a different ethnicity? And though social media didn't exist in his day, and though he had much to say, John recognized that some conversations were better face-to-face. Third John. I think one interesting thing about John is the older he gets, the shorter his books get. Isn't that striking? I got a lot to say to y'all. But I'd rather not write with pen and ink. Talk to you when I get there, right? We need to recognize the same when it comes to speaking about race. Uh, we got a question once, uh, the United We Pray, just on how thinking through social media in this topic, and Austin, who you'll meet later, uh, he asked just the flat question, like, should Christians be on this? Should we be on it? Is, is this useful for God and his purposes and the church? And I think the answer we landed on was the wisdom of James from James 3, when James says, not many of you should be teachers. And I do think that translates over, not many of you should be on this. Because, man, there's a whole platform you're speaking from now, and we want to be careful with it. We can talk more about that. Fruit eight, why is it so hard to talk about race? We don't know what to say at times because, root eight, we're conflicted and lack wisdom. Fruit eight, we don't know what to say at times because, root eight, we are conflicted and lack wisdom. One reason conversations about race are so hard is because when they come up, we can easily be conflicted or realize just how weak our words are. Moreover, in racial conversations, as in any conversation, there is a time to answer fools and a time not to. And it is not always clear which time is which, right? Proverbs 26, answer a fool according to his folly. Next verse, don't answer a fool according to his folly. Which one? What do you want me to do? Well, wisdom is the answer. So what can we do about this? Let me see if I can give some wisdom based upon God's word. What can we do? We can discern whether it is a time to speak or a time to be silent. So the first thing I did after I got off the plane and came into town, this is really my first visit to D.C. since my mom's funeral. Uh, The first thing uh, I did was drive over and see her grave right over here, not not far away. Uh, I was looking at her tombstone. Romans 12, 2, on that, be transformed by the renewal of your mind so that by discerning, you may be able to discern what is the perfect will of God. We want to discern, beloved, when conflicted, do I enter this conversation? Should I continue this conversation? Here are a few questions to ask to determine whether you should continue a conversation about race. First, have I prayed about speaking with this person? Have I prayed about it? A lot, of, a lot of us are trying to talk about this, but we're trying to talk about it in the flesh. The flesh is of no use, Jesus says. If you lack wisdom as to whether you should talk to that person, do what Scripture says. Ask God, James 1.5. Next, do I have a responsibility to say something? Do I have a responsibility to say something? Is this a situation in which I should be a voice for the voiceless, or point out a brother or sister's sin, or am I grabbing a dog by its ears, entering a quarrel, not my own, one I shouldn't enter? Proverbs 3 and 26 talk about this. Is this conversation, another question, is this conversation good for my heart or my listener's heart? Proverbs 4, above all else, guard your heart, for from it flow the wellsprings of life. By beginning or continuing this conversation, am I signing up for unnecessary discouragement? Am I needlessly repeating an offense? Proverbs 17. Another question. Is this conversation good for the building up of my church? 1 Corinthians 14. Will this conversation result in the building up or the tearing down of my church? If brothers and sisters were to listen in on this conversation, would they be challenged and helped or disheartened and grieved? Now, I've heard a useful test for our social media would be this. Imagine someone taking your social media posts and putting them up on these screens on Sunday. Would you be pleased? Would the church be pleased if your stuff on social media was up there on Sunday? Another question, is the person I'm talking to given to unrighteous anger or division? Proverbs 22, Romans 16, Scripture is clear. We should avoid these kinds of people. Next question, does the person act as if they are interested in a good faith conversation? You know, do they want to make friends or make a point? Do they want to win over people or win an argument? Are they willing to be won? In other words, are they open to their mind being changed? If not, consider talking with people who actually want to have a conversation. There are lots of them out there. And you only have so much time. The days, after all, are evil, Ephesians 5, and short, Psalm 103. We are more obligated, of course, to speak to some people, family members, for for instance, than others. And I should qualify that as a pastor. I offer my time to the members of our church regardless of where I perceive them to be on racial matters. But... I think this list still offers a helpful rubric for considering how, to, how far to go, even in those conversations. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit nine. Fruit nine. This is a big one. Even if we did know what to say at times, we'd be afraid to say it. Because root nine, we fear receiving Or inflicting pain. Route nine, even if we did know what to say at times, we'd be afraid to say it. Because route nine, we fear receiving or inflicting pain. Beloved, I praise God. More Christians than ever want to get issues of race and racism right. We don't want to make them worse we don't want to be insensitive and when we see the weight of these matters we talked about it earlier and the harm that can come that happens that and the harm that can happen if we drop that weight we tremble or we retreat or if we do talk we speak mainly with those with whom we feel safe After all, the truth is it's not hard to talk about race with everyone. We likely have people we feel safe enough talking about these matters with because we trust them. We feel as if they will be nice to us and give our sincere questions and qualms a fair hearing. But outside of that group, we don't have the same confidence. I mean, have you ever felt like that you'd love to share your honest opinion about a racial matter, but you didn't feel like you could? Maybe you felt like the conversation, you felt like the race conversation is often just about black and white, and we could really benefit from talking about the Asian or Native American or Hispanic struggles, but you didn't feel safe to share this thought. And maybe you tried to share your thoughts before and the conversation blew up. You were met with defensiveness and disregard. Maybe you were called names even by your own friends. Beloved, ask yourself who would want to sign up for that again? Who wants to enter a conversation in which there is a lot of criticism and little grace? So what can we do? What can we do? Take it easy. Take it easy. We will make the work of entering these conversations easier if we go easier on each other. In Titus 3, I think this is a striking passage. Paul instructs Titus. He says, Titus, This is is what I want you to do. I want you to remind the people to avoid quarreling and to be gentle. Isn't that striking? Titus says, remind them to be gentle toward everyone. When it comes to these conversations, we have two options, beloved. We can outlaw the conversation. You can't talk about that here. Or we can lower the volume. We can take it easy. Next, why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit 10, we don't think well. We don't think well about race and racism because root 10, we haven't been taught well. So hard to talk about race because we don't think well about it. And we don't think well about it because we haven't been taught well about it. One reason conversation about race is or so hard is because too many American evangelicals, we lack thinking with biblical nuance. So sadly, when it comes to using our God-given brains, right, my mom was big on this. Mind is a terrible thing to waste. Be transformed by the renewal of your mind. Sadly, when it comes to using our God-given brains, evangelicals, we often only have two speeds. For the evangelical, Bible-believing, gospel-believing Christians like us, if something is not essential for salvation, it is often regarded as unimportant. Issues then are either of speed one, ultimate importance, or speed two, no importance. Reflecting on the sin and scandal of evangelicals refusing to love the Lord with their minds, Oz Guinness elaborates on evangelicals' poor thinking habits. He says American evangelicals characteristically display an impatience with the difficult, an intolerance of complexity, and a poor appreciation of the long term and disciplined. Correspondingly, we often demonstrate a tendency toward the simplistic, especially in the form of slogans or overly simple either-or solutions. I think this either-or mental proclivity is why evangelicals often pit two good things against each other, evangelism versus justice, the spiritual versus the social, man's responsibility versus God's sovereignty. It's why we often see those who disagree with us as a part of the faithful or as a full blown heretic. We only have two speeds. And I think the blame for this kind of thinking is largely to be laid at pastor's feet. Ryan, I promise this will be encouraging. Hang with me. So, you know, for pastors, for elders in the room, we should think about this. Why do people in our churches not think deeply about the sin of racism? It's because we teach the need to confess and battle lust and greed, but not partiality? Listen, as a pastor, I know how difficult it can be to teach on these matters. To be sure, no pastor should be an armchair sociologist or political pundit, and it is easier to become one of these than one might think. And yet, we church leaders in the room, we shouldn't fall into the other side of the ditch either, the side of complete reticence. You know, church leaders, it... it, we have to realize that when it comes to justice, the Bible is not silent. When it comes to the image of God, the Bible is not silent. When it comes to love, the Bible is not silent. You know, a lot of people will say things today like, why are we talking about race? Why are we having this conference? Why are we talking about this? Why are we talking about this instead of Jesus? Shouldn't we just be preaching the gospel? And yet, it's strange, the people who say this are the same people who have no issue speaking about abortion or, spe- or sexual ethics. And praise God that they're speaking about abortion and sexual ethics. And they have no issue about it because they understand that what God has said has clear implications for how we live. And so we talk about abortion and sexual ethics and race. No doubt, we as church leaders can only say so much on this issue. For the more specific we get, the more we are binding consciences to something Scripture does not necessarily specify. Yet, pastors, church leaders, we also have to realize that some of us have wrongly divorced matters of race from discipleship, and we have taught our people to do the same. In doing so, we've wrongly taught our people that Christ's lordship doesn't extend to this area of their lives and understanding, but it does. You know, we've wrongly refused how to model, how to have these conversations for them, and they have floundered for it. So what can we do? What can we do in this whole section? Get a 10-speed bike. Get a 10-speed bike. In some sense, the suggested action items above are going to help you think better, but a crucial one is this. Find a friend who thinks well, and who disagrees with you. That kind of friend is like a 10-speed bike on which your thinking can ride around on and be improved. So a white pastor comes to mind who once had very strong thoughts on reparations. That is until he spent time with a group of black pastors. Beloved, diverse friends in rich thinking. And we're simply going to have to have more speeds than heretic and faithful if we're going to love one another and work together. Beloved, we have to recognize that someone disagreeing with us or with our perspective does not necessarily make them a racist or a Marxist. We have to recognize that someone disagreeing with us or with our perspective is not necessarily synonymous with that person disagreeing with God. Right? Why is it so hard to talk about race? Fruit 11, finally. Not all of us want to have a conversation because, root 11, we don't want to hear it. We don't want to hear it. Fruit 11, not all of us want to have a conversation because, root 11, we don't want to hear it. It's tempting to think that there's a perfect way to talk about race, we just use the right words, and our problems would be solved, and we would all get along. Years of having these conversations have shown me that this ideal is but a fantasy of the uninitiated. To be sure, there are better and worse ways to talk about race, hence this talk. But sadly, in some cases, it doesn't matter how biblically faithful one's presentation is. There are some folks who, when it comes to race and racism, they don't want to hear it. One of the pastors I work with, our college pastor, he said said this. It was so simple. He said, when people aren't willing to hear you, they're not willing to hear you. There are some folks who, when it comes to race and racism, man, I don't want to hear it. I'm not talking about that. Or they simply don't want to hear another perspective. Maybe it's because they fear what learning about race and racism will mean. Maybe it's because they wrongly assume that unity means we can never disagree. Maybe it's because they prefer their narrative of the world. Maybe it's because people's minds are really hard to change. Whatever the case, if sinful stubbornness is our problem, the action step is simple. Friend, if we've been hard-hearted about issues of race, we can either dig in our heels or we can turn our eyes toward Jesus. In him, we can find a Savior who is tender and forgives our callousness, a keeper who shores up our insecurity, and a friend who welcomes us despite our pushback. There is hope for us yet to repent. The Holy Spirit is not done with us yet. That's another reason why conversations about race among Christians can be so hard sanctification can be disorienting we change our friends change we change at different rates and on different topics you know this change can happen without our even realizing it you know how many of us have felt like I posted this same statement online five years ago it was fine no one cared people liked it click click now I say it and pfft friends things change And we can look up and feel like we're in a room we once knew, yet we no longer know where the walls are. But we are safe, praise God. Why? Because though the walls may be gone, Jesus is not. And his invitation is still on the table to come to him afresh today. Okay, sisters and brothers, that's it. Uh, Before we pray, if I can, let me give some homework in my mom's honor and legacy as an educator. Here are three questions to answer and talk about with someone. Just talk about it. Number one, which of the reasons for why it's so hard to talk about race resonated with you most and why? Number two, which reason did you disagree with most and why? Number three, which reason would you add? Let me pray for us. Father, um, we ask for your help. We ask for your help, Lord. We ask for your, the scriptures to dictate what we think. We ask that you would bless us, keep us, and help us to talk better. In Jesus' name.
2: Good morning, Wallace. Um, I'm Ada Moore. I was designated with the task of adding excitement, engagement, and keeping us on schedule as um, we go from uh, round to round. So I've got the raffle tickets, and if you didn't get a raffle ticket, we've got some um, helpers walking down the aisle to make sure you get a raffle ticket, and they're gonna come bring those, those other halves of those tickets to me. Um, thank you so much, Isaac and Austin for being here. That was wonderful. Um, I'm gonna try to make a really bad joke that no one in this room will get except maybe four of us. Um, we are so grateful that you're here and I trust all the words that you're saying because your shirts are black and white. And when your shirts turn to crimson and white or orange and blue, you, you will lose my trust. Um, they are swimming in very segregated waters down in Birmingham for other reasons than just um, race. So, and I say that as an Auburn grad. So war eagle. Okay. The other thing I'm supposed to say. <clears throat> it, oh, we're supposed to stretch. Okay. <laughs> Everybody, stand up. Rise. Rise. <laughs> uh, I'm supposed to lead us in some stretching. <laughs> uh, my best advice is you know, hands out, turn your wrists one way, turn them the other, arms up,
1: reach up, reach up
2: turn your turn your back around you know, touch your toes if you can, uh, maybe move your ankles around and uh, get the blood flowing and uh, do the hustle. Dun, 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 okay, so we've stretched, check, bad joke, check. Um, the other thing I need to remind you of is that we have a book table in the back. So all of these, all of the things said today are poignant and rich and full. And um, these are not the only two young men that have ever spoken on this topic or written about this topic. And some more resources are at the back table. Please look at those. Um, just let's keep educating ourselves. Let's keep reading. Let's keep thinking. Um, OK, book table check. All right, on to the raffle. That's what you're all here for.